Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad as always. Thank you for joining me today. It's the 1st of August. I sound like I am a little bit under the weather and that is true. I am a little bit under the weather this week. It was inevitable, I guess, um, but we all have to cop it on the chin, don't we? during these cold conditions but anyway hope you all have had a good week so far um i know it's been pretty busy and the german grand prix was a race that many of us are going to remember for for years to come sort of in the vein of um canada 2010 one of those really wacky race sorry canada 2011 um one of those truly wacky amazing races that um went on for so long and you know we wouldn't have picked the outcome given the um, amount of pit stops and penalties and that sort of thing that the race winner Jensen Button copped back then but um, thankfully this time here in Germany it wasn't as long as um, Canada they put in rules to to prevent that happening but we did have a bit of a interesting outcome as well with the podium and everything so going to talk all about that race of course um, in a sec Hungary is also this weekend as well so the final race before the mid-season break um, one final shot I guess at drivers fighting for their futures 2020 for contracts and everything to impress because silly season sort of ramps up over the mid-season break when um, you know the contract talk all starts to begin and everything so and usually around Spa Monza is when um, we get confirmations of where people are at for 2020 and whatnot so that'll be um, interesting to see who's going to be driving like a desperado who's not and all that jazz also supercars as well a bit later too with the um, Ipswich super sprint which was a interesting weekend as always in the land of supercars so yeah quickly as well before we begin um i might have i did mention it last week if you guys tuned in that i was a guest on the regen e-racing podcast um, with dino and chris so um dino has published that one this week so um for all you guys keen to have a listen to yours truly on um, a different podcast you're more than welcome to look up a regen e racing i might even put a link in the description as well for this one but they can basically be found on spotify and itunes and um, through transistor as well so yeah it was it was a good experience i gotta say um, thank you again both you chris and dino for having me on um, it was fun talking a bit of electric racing, um, even Toy Story 4 got a mention, and Sporks, so we were discussing Sporks, which was um, pretty exciting. So yeah, tune into that one if you guys can, it is already available on um, your favourite podcast listening platform, Spotify, iTunes and all the rest, so yeah great fun and um i will try to have uh we'll try to have dino who's been quite keen to come on to hit the apex as well have him on at some point um in the remainder of the year so it'll be good to have his insight and um at the moment i know he's on holiday well-deserved holiday so i hope he's uh, enjoying where he is um kicking back a tropical location or something it sounded like so yeah let's get into this though and um the german grand prix basically it's a case of just add water and uh, we got a race for the ages 
And as I said, it was kind of um, along the lines of Canada 2011, that level of madness. Um, it just, the, the script that was written for the race basically didn't, you know, didn't go to script at all. And, you know, we had confirmation earlier in the week before the race in Hockenheim that Netflix would be renewing Drive to Survive for a second season and the fact that Mercedes and Ferrari would be on board as well for this season and Mercedes had nominated this race in Germany, their home race, to be the race that um, features uh, for them in the new series for next year. So, you know, because it was their 125th year in motorsport and their 200th Grand Prix um, weekend, you know, I guess it was it was all set up for a perfect weekend for them, and you know they were on pole position with Lewis Hamilton. Valtteri Bottas was third quickest. Hamilton was suffering a cold or a flu, whatever, um, through the weekend as well, so wasn't um, completely a hundred percent fit. But then what happened in the race was basically the opposite of what they would have hoped for. Mercedes, a fairy tale, and all that. So a bit on that in a sec, but. Starting off the race, it was conditions were obviously wet, so you know, intermediate tyres, wet tyres that that's what they had to do. But there wasn't an immediate start, so there was no you know, usual formation lap and um, start the race off the grid. They actually had a formation lap under the safety car, or at least four formation laps before the race started proper. So the distance was reduced from 67 laps to 64. Then after the fourth lap, they all formed on the grid and did a standing start, you know, I guess to try and clear away some of that track um, standing water on the track. But, you know, about a couple of laps in, all the drivers were getting a bit restless and, you know, we wanted to start this race and get, get going. So Hamilton led away, Red Bulls, they both had poor starts again. Um, we saw... Verstappen in Austria get a poor start and um, he came back to win that race as he did this time as well but it's everything else in between that matters I guess so Kimi Raikkonen as well he had a season best qualifying and was able to get up to P3 actually at the end of the first lap so he benefited quite quickly but didn't really hang on to that position for the rest of the race Sergio Perez, unfortunately, the first one to crash out, so he became unstuck a couple of laps into the race. Um, just, you know, probably hit a puddle and uh, aquaplaned or spun, hit the wall. One of many safety cars came out, um, and then shortly after, drivers started gambling on the slick tyres, so, you know, seeing if they could um, get the better grip. Sorry get the better grip on the slick tires but then you know drivers just continued to drop drop out of the race Daniel Ricciardo Lando Norris they both had um, mechanical issues on their cars which was a bit unfortunate um, given that these conditions would have actually favored them as far as getting some results if they had survived at the end but then the biggest scalp to go actually was on the 29th lap of the race and Charles Leclerc who was in a very um, favorable favorable position you could say too having just switched over to the slick tire he just started to threaten Lewis Hamilton and basically he he understeered sorry and um, he understeered at turn 15 went off to the runoff to the left of the track which is the 
the drag strip, which was basically like an ice skating rink the whole race and basically lost control of the car there and it ended up in the turn 16, the final corner wall. So he was um, visibly uh, disappointed with himself. Of course, the second year that a Ferrari crashed out from a favourable position in this race after Vettel's troubles last year and Speaking of Vettel, he started the race from 20th on the grid. You know, Ferrari themselves, qualifying was awful. Um, Yet again, Vettel 20th because he had issues heading into qualifying, couldn't even get the car to go through Q1. And then Leclerc having a similar issue as he got into Q3, but then couldn't set a lap. um, Couldn't set a lap in Q3, so started 10th. So Leclerc out of the race, another safety car, of course. Um, we had drivers switching back to the intermediate tyres, which Nico Holgenberg and Alexander Albon had already done before the safety car came out. So Al- um, Albon and Hulk ended up gaining a little bit of um, ground. Holgenberg actually bolstered himself up into a top three position at that point in the race. So imagine what everyone was talking about at then it's like oh could this be the chance that we see Hulkenberg finally score a podium in F1 <laughs> unfortunately that wasn't to be but more on that in a second so Hulk and Albon ended up moving up top Hamilton almost followed Leclerc actually into that wall not too long after Leclerc was like you could still see Leclerc's uh, stricken Ferrari there but Hamilton went off as well at that turn 15 16 um area where the drag strip is uh he ended up damaging his front wing and then cut across the grass to go into the pit lane but the way he did it is what copped him a um a penalty afterwards a 10 second time penalty a five second penalty sorry because the rule that was brought in for this track after last year when hamilton did his in 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 out 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 um We'd have to. I'm. Um, you're gonna have to bear with me a little bit <laughs> uh, throughout this one. Um, just gunk and blowing nose and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, yeah, they brought in a rule um, after last year when Hamilton did his in and in, in out and out um, caper that there's a bollard on pit entry and you can't cross that to get into the pits. He ended up crossing it again this time, so that earned him a penalty. So things started getting started to unravel for Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, and then the pit stop took an age as well, given that they weren't ready for him. Um, they got the front wing replaced, but then the tyres, they didn't have the right tyres ready. So, you know, they probably had put, like, a soft tyre on with an intermediate tyre or some mad thing like that so Hamilton at this point is sort of um, fallen behind and it was Max Verstappen who was the theoretical race leader so he survived his own 360 spin in the final sector of the track he was leading Valtteri Bottas and Nico Hülkenberg before Hülkenberg crashed on lap 41 so I think everyone spoke too soon or put the commentator's curse on poor Hulk, but it wasn't to be at his home race where, you know, a podium would have been absolutely mega. So he goes off the same place as Leclerc and Hamilton did. He's out of the race. Um, So double DNF for Renault. Um, Ultimately, another safety car came out, which benefited the likes of Lance Stroll and Danny Kvyat, who had put on the soft tyres just before the safety car came out so this is when conditions are 
probably the best they've been all race and everyone had ended up switching back to the soft tyres. So, you know, Kvyat was up there, Stroll was up there, both in podium positions, you know, and Bottas was still there, but he ended up having issues later on. Vettel had been, you know, keeping out of trouble all race as well and kept himself in a position where he could challenge for a podium as well. But after this, so we've had the safety car for Hulkenberg's crash. We had Lewis Hamilton um, spinning off at turn one. He was able to live to fight another day, but, you know, he had to serve that penalty in the pit stop. So he was basically out of running for the points and ended up up making an extra pit stop anyway to get some fresh tyres on to see what he could do from down where he was outside the points. But it was Valtteri Bottas crashing at turn one at the same place that Hamilton spun on lap 57 so we had another safety car of course and that was basically the um the dagger in mercedes heart and you know the celebrations that they had for the weekend were basically you know that's that's basically the dampener on that so you know there was this whole thing that that got misconstrued by people about what toto wolf said in regards to putting a curse on them, you know, when they do all these uh, celebratory things, you know, special livery and outfits, period pieces and all that sort of thing. So that basically jinxed them into a bad result. So, you know, that you can believe that if you want. I don't really think it's to do with that. It's just the conditions were, were not right. And Mercedes, basically, you know, the drivers made mistakes as well. Hamilton throughout the day, it was... It was a very bad day for him and Bottas ultimately crashing out of the affair as well. So had one more safety car in the race and this is where, you know, it was basically a race to the chequered flag now. Vettel picked off Carlos Sainz, Lance Stroll. They were both relegated off the podium. Then he picked off Danny Kvyat for P2. So what a comeback for Sebastian to finish second in the race after starting P20. Max Verstappen obviously went on to win, second win in three races for Verstappen, but also in these conditions he seems to be the best driver at the moment because it reminded me of Brazil 2017, which in similar similar conditions, similar race, um, Verstappen went on to win, and of course in Brazil he ended up having that scary spin as well, uh, coming out of the final corner, in the conditions, um, in wet conditions, he had the similar spin and still went on to win the race. So Verstappen, you got to say, probably the form driver of the competition at the moment. Easily, you know, given that Hamilton's won seven races so far this season, um, Verstappen's probably been the driver in form. And, you know, it's uh, Red Bull, Honda, their progress has been visible to see too. So... And for Honda, actually, double delight because it was a double podium finish for them because Danny Kvyat in the Toro Rosso scored Toro Rosso's second ever podium in F1, which was, I think, the best story to come out of the whole day, you know. And I've always been a big Danny Kvyat fan and, you know, you would have heard me over the years express how angry I've been with the Red Bull system and how Kvyat's been treated and everything. And it's just so good to see him back in F1 this year and actually with the maturity that he's got and he's just a whole nother driver basically. And this podium, you mean you wouldn't have picked it at the start of the year that Torosso were going to finish on a podium and uh, Kvyat to be on the podium. But this 
podium and basically vindicates how good a comeback Fiat's made and the maturity that he's got. And I basically think, yeah, you know, this is why he... This is the Fiat that we were all looking forward to when he first came into F1. You know, the raw, exciting speed that he brings and everything, but now with the composure and the maturity that, you know, a complete racing driver needs. So finishing third in the end for Honda it was such a great result as well because having two cars on the podium something that they haven't done for almost um, almost three decades or whatever so it's it was a special day for those guys in the end and you know cheeky tweet going out on the Honda F1 Twitter page after the race about you know that's GP2 wins for this year I'm sure that that wasn't just a uh, autocorrect error, as they want us to believe, and it was a certain, um, it was a little jibe at a certain Spaniard <laughs> for his uh, GP2 engine comments back in 2015. So, you know, it just goes to show you the progress that they've made. And you know, at the start of the year, it was always a 50/50 thing whether Red Bull would actually be in a better position with Honda or would they go backwards with Honda and um, for the sake of the competition and everything I'm actually glad that um, it's actually the former that they've gotten better as a result of it I mean you look at Renault where they are at the moment it doesn't look too favorable on them and that's just being brutally honest you know I mean regardless of Ricardo being at the team and everything and Renault promising making inroads it doesn't look too favourable for them at the moment. So, you know, whether they make progress now after the mid-season break, Renault, um, or next year, you know, we can't keep saying, oh, next year, next year, next year. They've got to start delivering straight away. And Honda, they flew under the radar last year. They got their act together. This year, they've hit the ground running with Red Bull. We didn't really expect too much from them, but two wins is two wins. And there could be more later this season as well because of the form that Verstappen's in and also they've just got a reliable, solid package. So, you know, good on them for that. I'll actually, for once, give credit to Red Bull uh, for something. So, yeah, that's that. Kvyat third, and he said as well post-race that um, he actually gave, became a father the night before. So his partner, who was due sometime over the weekend or during the week, ended up uh, yeah giving birth to Kvyat's first, first child, their first child, um, the night before the race. So that'll probably be, you know, a weekend to never forget in the Kvyat household, and especially for Danny as well for, for ending up on the podium in what was probably the best race that he's had in his career so far. But behind them, I guess, um, you still had some season best results for guys like Lance Stroll, Carlos Sainz, who were fourth and fifth. Um, Stroll, Racing Point, you've got to really take your hat off to their strategist for coming up with that winning play to get them to where they were. You know, they've not been very impressive this season qualifying wise and then in the race they don't really make up a lot of ground but you know we've seen Stroll in these sort of conditions excel before and you know strategically they put themselves in the right position to to be in a position to be on the podium but ultimately they couldn't hold on to it with the likes of Vettel behind taking him out of that position so 
great race for them. Carlos Sainz, I guess, what do you say? He said that he can't really blame his strategist for taking the safe route and not going for a set of softs prior to the safety car like Fiat and Stroll did. It was on the table for them, um, but ultimately they elected to not. And in hindsight, it was something where you could say, oh, they should have done it. But, you know, Science himself said he's not going to... He's happy with the decision that his team made and he's not going to beat them up for it, which is good. So, you know, team harmony, very important. But another solid race for McLaren, regardless, um, with fifth, even though Lando Norris didn't finish. So Science, again, as I said last week, Science and Norris have been flying under the radar this year, as have McLaren, and their results sort of speak for themselves as a result because, you know, in the Constructors' Championship, they are you know, sort of breaking away a little bit, you can say, from the likes of Renault, and now Toro Rosso has jumped up to fifth in the Constructors, so they've got a nice 28-point um, buffer, do McLaren over Toro Rosso, and uh, Renault back on 39 points in sixth is um, not looking good, too good for them, so they're going to have to start hitting really hard after the mid-season break. Alexander Albon as well, so double points for Toro Rosso, double delight, so he was sixth, career best, season best result for him, and it was supposed to be the Alfa Romeo cars in the top 10, you know, we had Haas in the top 10 as well, so even though they were still arguing and uh, racing and hitting each other, Magnussen and Grosjean, we had Grosjean finish ahead of Magnussen was classified um, a position below where the final classification stands. So they've been classified 7th and 8th, scoring 6 and 4 points respectively. And that's because the Alfa Romeo cars that were meant to finish um, in those positions ended up here getting 30-second time penalties added to their race times after the race because of clutch infringements on both cars. So, you know, you thought that... They got away off the line a bit too quickly, so there was some kind of issue or some kind of infringement with their clutches, so both Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi ended up finishing outside the points as a result of those penalties. It elevated Lewis Hamilton back into the points, he finished ninth, but in 10th, in 10th we had Robert Kubica score his first point since 2010, so... If you thought that the Kvyat story wasn't feel-good enough, just, you know, for Kibitza, I guess, it was kind of subdued anyway because it was post-race and they really still... It doesn't help them that they're still far off the pace of everyone else. But, you know, a point is a point and Williams are on the board finally with a point and Kibitza as well to, to score that first point for them is uh, quite special. So yeah, that's um, three races in a row now, which have been some of the best races we've seen in a long time, Austria, um, Silverstone, and and Germany. So what what's uh, what's on next, you know, with Hungary? Can that also deliver as, um, as one of those uh, top races that we've seen this season? And Hungary typically is a track that is quite exciting, and we have a lot of stuff going on. Um, last year, of course, it was Hamilton who won there. It's been the domain of Hamilton and Mercedes. He's had six wins at this circuit, including his first win for Mercedes back in 2013. And we know he does do typically well at, you know, some of those circuits that he's got a great affinity with. But 
given Red Bull's form, you know, and this is kind of like a Monaco-style circuit that, um, uh, you know, go-kart circuit without the close walls. It is unforgiving. It's tight. It's twisty. Not a lot of straights. Uh, full throttle action happening either. It could suit Red Bull, I reckon, a bit more. And given that the conditions are actually going to be lower than it was in Germany, the heat wave that they were having in, in Europe for the last few weeks, um, Red Bull could be up there with Mercedes. Ferrari might be the ones who struggle, given that their chassis still isn't, you know, where it needs to be. They've still got that top top speed advantage, but that's not going to really help them here. But they've had form here in the hybrid era, so Sebastian Vettel won 2015 and 2017 at this circuit. So, you know there could be a possibility for those guys to mix it and Leclerc as well, unfortunate for what happened to him in Germany. But if I were to put a tip on this early, I'd say, yeah, it would be Mercedes versus Red Bull, certainly. And if the conditions are as low as they're going to be, mid-20s to mid to late 20s um, Celsius, then I'd say Mercedes are probably hands down the the favourites for it. You know, and um, Bottas, he's not had... A great middle part of the season. Last win was in Baku, so he'll be looking to to score a win if he can. Hamilton, does he get over his cold and flu, and can he get back on form? Mercedes, basically, whenever they have a bad race, you know that the race afterwards, they come out and really smash the opposition out of the park. So this could be one of those races where we see. But there's not going to be any weather expected. It's going to be dry. So, But still, even a dry Hungarian Grand Prix can be quite exciting. So... We'll see how they go there. As I said for Renault before, looking at the midfield, the pressure's really on, you know, to get some results on the board. Ricardo typically goes well around this track. He's won here in the past for Red Bull. Um, we've seen some changes in the actual structuring of the team and the organisation during the week. So Alain Prost has actually been named the new non-executive chairman. Kind of in a similar role to, or exactly the same role to Nicky Lauda when he was with Mercedes over the last few years. So, whether that's going to give Prost some more leverage in the team or some more more power to influence decisions and all that sort of thing, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, you know, like Nicka Hulkenberg's name still very much uh, up in the air in the silly season. He said coming into Germany that. Um, you know, he would like to stay with Renault. Ricardo obviously locked in, unless you want to believe the wild rumours about him having that exit clause and he can go off to, to Ferrari if they come calling. But, you know, after after seeing Vettel's performance in Germany, I think, you know, we might have to wait until... We might have to wait a little bit until uh, hearing him announce a retirement or anything, maybe he will decide to race on next year, you know, that's, you know, that's something that I've also been thinking about too, that it's not a foregone conclusion that after a bad year this year that he leaves, so yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, we've still got 10 races to go this year, so there's still time yet for, for Vettel to win, but you know, the chances well, the likelihood is very slim unless the car does become a lot better in the next few races. As I've mentioned already a couple of times too, it is the final chance before the mid-year break to have drivers impress before the silly season really kicks off. So you look at midfield names, basically, you know, that are in play. Grosjean, you know, fighting for his career. 
Robert Kubitzer as well. Will he stay on at Williams next year? Pierre Gasly is another one, which um, Helmut Marko, the uh, Dr. Doom and Gloom at Red Bull, has come out and said that they're not going to be considering... Um, they're not going to consider replacing him in the middle of the season. And I agree with that. You know, if you're to replace a driver, do it do it at the start of the season rather than, or in the pre, you know, for the next year, do it rather than in the middle of a season. So Gasly should be afforded more time. But quite personally, I don't think his performances this year warrant him another year at Red Bull. I've always said that it was too early to promote him. Um, and basically, you know, getting the Danny Kvyat treatment in a way, so, you know, too early. But is Kvyat a contender now for 2020 to go back to Red Bull? I personally would say no, Kvyat should become a free agent elsewhere or stick it out at Torosso or something. You know, he would totally be really good in another with another team. He's got, I don't know if he's still got his Ferrari links because he was a reserve and test driver for them um, when he was out of F1 last year so you know Kvyat would be a great fit elsewhere he's got that maturity about him now but uh, you know putting him back in a Red Bull with Verstappen as the teammate as well you know hopefully if, if it were to happen I wouldn't say oh it's it's completely terrible be happy to see how it goes if as long as Kvyat isn't like broken and kicked out again um, it would be good. But yeah, Gasly, I think a year too early, another year at Torosso would have been better. And of course, you know, his, the car that he's driving, which Verstappen's taken to two race wins now, he's basically, you know, there's been, there was some weird infograph that went up um, during the week about the last 21 races, Verstappen has not finished outside the top five or something. So that's absolutely ridiculous going back to the Belgian Grand Prix last year, like his average race finishes like third, three or third or fourth. So that is crazy to think that this kid is in this sort of form. And if he had a title winning car under his belt, you know, he would basically be giving Lewis Hamilton a run for his money at this stage. So yeah, we'll have to wait and see what happens on that front. But yeah, Gasly, let him see out the season um, next year, potentially go back to Toro. So if Hulkenberg ends up staying at Renault, which I know does sort of stuff um, Esteban Ocon over, then you could say that, yeah, um, Gasly back to Torosso, Kvyat to Red Bull, Ocon to Haas, potentially. I mean, Haas, uh, you know, Grosjean, there was that link that potentially they might do the switch at the German Grand Prix, which hasn't happened. Again, I'd like to see Grosjean see out the rest, the final part of the season before anything happens. Ocon to Haas, you know, it does sort of put his Mercedes links into jeopardy, but at the same time, you know, Mercedes progression with their young drivers has been a bit of a dead end, you know, and I don't think Bottas has done a bad enough job to warrant being kicked out of the team for next year, and a lot of people will, will agree with that. He is a couple of, you've got to say he is another race win or two race wins away from cementing his spot, but he's done a good enough job this year. Hamilton is happy with him there as well, which, you know, should, I think, might be taken into consideration too, given that Hamilton is the nucleus of the team. Um, so... 
you know, Bottas has done enough to warrant his spot at Mercedes, and Ocon can't spend another year outside. So I would say Haas is probably the best team for him to go to. He wouldn't go into Williams, you know, and I think even Toto Wolff, who is basically Ocon's manager, wouldn't turn around and put Ocon in a Williams for next year, even if they do make some progress next year. The only other logical thing I could see happening, and mind you, silly seasons can never be, aren't always logical things. Um, Perez ends up going over to Haas, so he can, because he basically apparently can opt out of his Force India deal, or sorry, um, Racing Point deal at any time, given that how much of a financial stake that his backers have in that team and all the backing that they bring into the team and he's been you know a, a loyal servant to them for how how long basically scored all their podiums as well since 2014 when he joined the team so um you've got to say that um you know the potential for Perez to switch over as well is there um, Perez and Magnussen would be a good lineup, I reckon, for Haas. And if they get a better car next year, it would be pretty exciting to see. Um, and then, yeah, Ocon could slip into the seat at Racing Point. You know, obviously he was a reserve driver. No, well, he was their driver <laughs> before Stroll replaced him. So does he go back there? That'll be that'll be interesting. God, I. One name change, and I suddenly I forget that um, this team was a different team previously, and um, Ocon used to drive for them, so, you know, that could potentially happen too, but Ocon to Haas would probably be a bit better for him as far as, you know, just breaking out of that Mercedes shell, he needs to be on the grid next year, I think the odd one out there for next year will be Roman Grosjean, given his form, um, Robert Kubitzer as well, likely that he won't be on the grid next year. It's been a horrible season for him, horrible return. Um, and you'd think that Nicholas Latifi um, would slot into that seat at Williams next to George Russell and also pending how he fares in the remainder of the Formula 2 season as well this year. So that'll be interesting to see. But yeah, Hungary, the final race before the mid-season break as well. Um, it would be nice to have a little bit of a break from some racing um, and then we'll do a mid-season review as well and probably take one or two weeks off depending um, depending on um, time and all that sort of thing. So we'll see how we go um, with that. So that about wraps up all the F1 stuff for this week. Supercars time now and um, the Ipswich Super Sprint last race um, before a month-long break for those guys as well. Um the bend next up which i keep talking about quite excited because uh we'll be road tripping up over there later on this month now end of the month so that'll be exciting but um yeah all the talking points from ipswich uh and quite a bit happened over the weekend which was exciting they brought in those park firm a regs again trialed trialed them out and you know did sort of benefit some hurt others as you'd expect but it's you know the best teams that sort of get their heads around it, the latest centre of gravity changes as well, you know, um, removing all the ballast off the Commodores and a few, I think nine kilos on the Mustangs were renegotiated, redistributed, whatever you want to say. So I guess the big thing to come out from the weekend was uh, Mustang wins the title. So with 17 wins out of the 20 races so far, um, Ford 
have wrapped up the manufacturer's title, which is calculated on race wins. So obviously they've got more wins than um, that they they've got more wins than anyone so far this season, and they've won enough races to win that championship. It's amazing to think that 14 of those 17 wins that Ford have got this year have been thanks to Scott McLaughlin, and he got another one over the weekend too in race 20, um, which sealed them the title. And I guess the celebrations were sort of marred post-race by supercars handing out two fines to Scott McLaughlin. So there was a $3,000 fine for him doing burnouts in the wrong place on the track. But then the more bizarre one, which has got a few people riled up, is um, a $10,000 fine for bringing a, um, you know, I guess a a legal item or an item that's not allowed onto the podium, which in this case was the must the Ford News Mustang Wins title poster, which you would have seen on social media if you've been following it. You know, and that's a tradition in supercars that, you know, they've been doing for, for decades. You know, they do it when um, uh, they have a Bathurst win, you know, Holden News, the Ford News. You know, it's a supercar's tradition, but, you know, in this instance, they've been a bit too PC about it, and a $10,000 fine for bringing that poster onto the podium, which, you know, what's the poster going to do? Not going to add weight or reduce weight uh, in par ferme and all that sort of stuff. So absolutely ridiculous that was, regardless of whether you're a Ford fan or a Holden fan. It's um, just PC gone to the next level, that. So, you know, and basically... You know, McLaughlin after the race tweeted that uh, can he pay off the fine in armor all um, pole position checks or whatever, which he's got no shortage of. So I reckon he'll have enough. Um, I think is a thousand dollars per pole position or whatever, and he might have twelve or thirteen poles to his name this season. So there you go. We'll pay him off using the checks. But um, actually, there's a good incentive. Uh, so together with um, authentic collectibles, I think it is. They've actually um, put those posters out for pre-order for sale, so you can purchase them, and the proceeds um, and the money that um, the cost of those posters, sorry, and the money will go towards a charity, which is really good—a kids' charity. So um, you know, I think that's something that I'll get behind as well later on in the year when they become available. So you know, nice piece of history you got to say uh, as well in that instance. So. That was uh, those guys. It was a nail-biting finish to that race 20 in the end. Scott McLaughlin pipped Shane Van Gisbergen. So Van Gisbergen opting to fuel up in his first stop, put on extra fuel, took a bit of pain. But then at the end of the race, he was a lot quicker because in the second pit stop, he didn't have to take on as much fuel as the other guys. So he was a lot closer to the rest of the um, the top three and he ended up picking them off one by one and came to McLaughlin but in the end couldn't get past so you know tight finish one and two McLaughlin his lead in the championship unassailable you could say at the moment it's like 433 points ahead of Fabian Coulthard his teammate who had not such a happy birthday on the Sunday as well he missed Q3 he had a clash with Anton Di Pasquale as well which you know no one was really at fault, and if you did have to proportion blame, it was probably more of Coulthard's um, fault for, you know, Di Pasquale trying to duck back under to crisscross and pass him through that turn four corner. 
whereas Coulthard just locked up and turned into him sort of thing. So both drivers were hurt by that, Coulthard more so, you know, as far as his championship tilt's concerned, and now he's like a round and a half worth of points behind his teammates. So, yeah, not a happy 37th birthday for Fabs after that, but, um, you know, the race will go on this year for those guys in the Shell V Power team. So Saturday we had some drought-breaking results as well, and none more imp- more so important than Jamie Wincup winning his first race since the Sandown 500 last year when Triple Eight absolutely dominated that race. So Wincup just peerless. He got a better start than McLaughlin off the front row of the grid, basically muscled McLaughlin out of the way and controlled the race from there. So, you know, great result for those guys at Triple Eight still doesn't really make up for the fact they've had a poor season and, you know, they've had to rely on centre of gravity changes or these Park Ferme regulations to help them um, because they're still hurt by the lack of the twin springs that were banned, um, which really hurt the guys. But, you know, at the same time, they've, they've made some progress, you've got to say, and with the Park Ferme regulations as well, it means that because, you know, you've got to have the same car going from qualifying to the race... Triple Eight, they always this year struggled adapting a qualifying car to a race car. They had a better race car, not a good qualifying car. So they can sort of 50-50 it and now um, sort of take benefit of that. So Win Cup won, but it was Will Davison scoring the first podium for the 23 Red Racing Team, the Phil Monday operation, which was a probably... Not a tear-jerking result, you could say, but a, a, a very pleasing result that they finally were able to get onto the podium. Obviously, 23 Red Racing was born out of Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport when um, Phil Monday bought all the shares that Lucas Dumbrell had. They s- recruited Will Davison last year, came over from Techno, and then this year they came under the Tickford Racing umbrella as the fourth car in that stable. So... With the Ford Mustang, they've been pretty consistent this year, and Davison's been uh, top constantly inside the top ten of the championship. So, first podium for those guys, and second, great result you got to say for them. And Davison, I think it's been more than a thousand days since he had a podium in supercars, and it was that 2016 Bathurst win that was the last time he was on a podium, obviously with Techno and. Jonathan Webb at the time so you know good result for those guys Chas Mostert behind in third as well so he had a pair of podiums um, over the weekend uh, finishing third in both races so good results for him and good to see I guess the Tickford cars inside the top 10 um, in both races well actually no Lee Holdsworth in the second race wasn't inside the top 10 but yeah we had all four cars in the top 10 um in the saturday race so good result for those guys pit lane trouble so mclaughlin obviously being overtaken by wind cup at the start of the saturday race he also then had a slow stop um in race 19 came in they had a bit of trouble changing the tire and basically buggered his race so he was lucky to come back and finish fourth in the end didn't really take too much of a hit in the championship, but, you know, Scott McLaughlin not on the podium is a huge thing these days, given how consistent he's been. But also David Reynolds, um, he had another shocking day and another pit lane drama. Happened to him again on Sunday where, you know, very bizarrely they underfueled 
him by one liter or whatever so they've got to take a mandatory 120 liters across two pit stops in those longer races and i think in the second stop they ended up just missing a liter which then he had to come back in in a separate pit stop to to take on board so he ended up finishing down in 21st so that was not really good for reynolds um given that uh those guys are still waiting on a win for this year as well and um you know given all the dark horse stuff that we said at the start of the year it's not really the greatest of results um so far this year but you know it'll come come enduro time they're always quite strong so i don't doubt that they'll be up there when that part of the year comes and it's coming very soon as well um and scott pye was another one who had some pain in the pits ended up finishing 21st and then race 19 and it's kind of sad again scott pye's name sort of on that chopping block come season time because you know um walkinshaw obviously uh, chas mostert being linked to a drive there possibility that james courtney might end up leaving and um walkinshaw end up having a completely new lineup but i reckon pie's done enough to warrant himself a seat for next year at that team i mean he's the only one to have won them a race in the last two years as well so you know hopefully he does uh get to stay at the team but you know it's just uh, I'd pick Pye over Courtney any day. Courtney's not been as impressive as he once was, but then again, you know, I'm still bitter about them dropping Garth Tander a couple of years ago in favour of retaining Courtney there. So, <laughs> yeah, not not great as far as that's concerned, but hopefully we do get some good news and Scott Pye does get to um, hang on to his seat over at Walkinshaw Andretti United. So that is that and yeah as i said before and as i mentioned probably a hundred million times already um the bend super sprint is the next round of the championship i'll be there on the sunday i'm so excited to check out the new facility there at tail and bend you know it's meant to be really impressive and from what i've seen it's been really really good to watch you know for the shannon's nationals and the supercars race last year so can't wait to be trackside of course and um you know if you actually because uh, i dabble in the whole photography thing as well like to take a lot of photos when i'm at these races of the cars on track you can follow me on instagram at dr 46th so 46th at the end of doctor on instagram i will be posting throughout the week as well um part of the road trip as well which will be good going to places like port lincoln and stuff so going to be really exciting so yeah next round there at the bend um bogey race last year for uh shell v power racing and scott mclaughlin so you know they'll be hoping that they can improve this year and um knock triple eight out of the park so yeah it's going to be very exciting for all sorts of reasons but anyway moving it on and just before we close out today's podcast and I'm surprised I've made it to the end of this one. We have had a couple of breaks here and there, but um, yeah, just got to focus on trying to get myself better for the weekend and the um, week next week ahead as well. But yeah, MotoGP's back on this weekend. Czech Grand Prix at Bruno. That's going to be really good. Um, can anyone take it to Marquez is the question. And also, for the cricket fans, the Ashes start this evening. Um, so first test match in at at uh, Edge Baston in Birmingham, Australia, England, the ultimate rivalry in cricket 
um, test cricket especially. So hopefully the English weather doesn't wipe out what should be an exciting series. So really, really um, looking forward to seeing that. And yeah, you know, the usual football, footy um, over the weekend, rugby league and all that. And Bledisloe for rugby union fans, uh, Australia, New Zealand is always a good contest as well. So will be a smorgasbord of sports as always but anyway that uh, wraps things up i'm gonna go have some more tea try and uh, shake this cold and um, look forward to an exciting weekend ahead so thanks very much for tuning in i will pop the um, link in the description to the regen e-racing podcast as well so be sure to go check that out um, and check out their latest episode on which I feature, but otherwise, I hope you guys have a good week, please don't get sick, like me, (laughs) and um, enjoy the rest of the week and weekend, see you next time.